families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him far from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt. O Israel, again you shall take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria, and the planters shall plant and shall enjoy them as well. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. I want to concentrate my efforts around the wording, particularly of verse two in this text, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when it went to find rest. For the moment that is mine, I want to preach from the subject, I survived it. I survived it. Do me a favor for just a brief moment. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it for 2018. You survived it. Now look at your neighbor and tell him, I survived it. When I think about it, I survived it. Look on the other side and tell him, I survived it. Out of all I've been through, I survived it. All the crying I did over the days, I survived it. All of the hills that I had to climb, I survived them. All of the brokenheartedness I had to endure, yet here it is, I survived it. I was sick through the portion of the year, but yet here I am, I survived it. I survived it. You may have heard it said that it's the survival of the fittest that makes it through the journey. For you old schoolers, the late Jerry Butler, the Iceman, used to sing for us, only the strong survive. Y'all gotta be old enough to know that song. Don't be trying to fool me. Jesus had said to us on one occasion that he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. There are numerous books on the market about the idea of survival, tactics, and manners in which we can learn how to survive in various contexts and conditions in which we find ourselves in contention. Military personnel Veterans can tell us how to survive wartime conditions. Survivors of the stock market crash of 1929 can tell us how to survive when money is extremely limited. Folk who have survived the poverty of living in the South, grew up in the South, can tell you how to survive when there are a lot of persons in the house and yet very little resource. 
There are some of us in this room who are survivors of medical conditions and can tell others about how you can survive the brokenness of your body. Those who are economically marginalized and those who are politically oppressed can all inform us from their context how to survive in the midst of a trying context. And some of us are sitting here this morning knowing that when it appeared that all of the doors and windows of life have been shut completely down, roadblocks everywhere we went, every direction we turned, was blocked off from us. Landmines were present everywhere that we stepped, and it appears as if the storm only knew my address. Yet, I'm sitting here Sunday morning, the last Sunday of 2018, because I survived it. Here we are at the end of another year, January 1 had some promises for us, and perhaps many of us never got a chance to witness those promises to materialize. Some of us have come through the year, and we have went through the storms and winds of adversity. Life has been disappointing. Friends have been disappointing. Family has been disappointing. Occupations have been disappointing, and yet... In the midst of it all, we stand here on this Lord's Day to worship him in spirit and in truth. And even though I stepped on some landmines through the course of the year, and even though I ran into roadblocks that caused me to have to be stagnant for a moment, and even though the windows and the doors were shut, I had to find opportunities elsewhere, yet at the end of the year, I'm still here because I survived it. That's the reason why I suggest you pat yourself on the back and recognize that today, not only does it reveal that we have survived the challenge of the year, but we are thriving despite the fact that indeed we have survived. Now. There may not be much progress, but I can testify there is no digression at all. We may not be moving forward as frequently as we like, but we certainly are not moving backwards. We may not be shouting every day, but I am shouting at least one day of the week. Food may not be falling off of the table, but food is still on the table. It may not be a Mercedes-Benz that, Mercedes that I'm driving, but whatever I'm driving is getting me where I got to go. I get to go to the grocery store every week. I get to take the kids to all their appointments. I may not be making a lot of progress, but I have survived the challenges of 2018. Israel and Judah, through the lips of the prophet Jeremiah, wants to provide their own testimony regarding how they survived 70 years of Babylonian captivity. They knew what it meant to come to the end of every year and have to reminisce about what transpired in the course of the year. Sometimes the end of the year is a bit frightening and we just don't want to look back and see exactly what we have come through in the course of that year. They were in a condition that often made them feel discontent, disconnected, displaced, and dysfunctional as a people. 
they were discontent because they knew that they were in a troubled condition that they probably should not have been in if they had only been obedient to the voice of God. And some of us, when we look back over the year, we recognize some things that happened would not have happened if I had just listened to what the Word of God told me to do. They felt disconnected because they no longer had the foundation of the temple presence in Jerusalem that they now missed in Babylon. In other words, they missed the presence of the temple where they could go in and worship because they became preoccupied with self-grandizement, self-satisfaction. They felt in a space that if they had only went to church on the regular, only went to church on the regular, only went to church on the regular, and not just Christmas, Mother's Day, Easter, and some other time, but showed up on the regular, at least in recognition that God is good all the time, and God has been good all the time to me, that their condition would not make them feel so disconnected. They also felt in their condition that they had been abandoned by God, that God had placed them in a context that they certainly didn't feel they deserved. And perhaps through the course of the year, you have had some moments where you felt God let you be in some spaces that you did not think you deserved. But yet, you're here on the day because you survived those spaces. They felt displaced because they were no longer in Jerusalem, but they were in Babylon. They were no longer in the homeland where they could celebrate and worship God in the temple, but now they were in a space where they felt as if the hands of control were quite oppressive. But I hope across the course of this year you learn that God is not occupied only in the space of a church, but you ought to take God everywhere that you go. In other words, everywhere that you are, God can be worshiped in spirit and in truth. Don't need a church building to cry out to God and tell him how good that he is. Don't need a church building to remind you of the goodness of God. Don't need a church building to remind you that you need to be in the presence of God. Just wake up every morning and think about the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done for you right where you are, your soul ought to cry out, hallelujah. They felt dysfunctional because they were not discerning nor listening to the will of God. In fact, when you read Jeremiah 22 all the way to chapter 30, there's no one single thing that you can identify that Israel actually did wrong that put them in captivity. There was a host of things that they had done to land them where they are. If you think about that for a moment, grace steps in to each of us because there is not one single thing that we have done through the course of the year that caused us to have a turbulent moment, but a host of things that we have done, and yet at the end of the year, we still here because we survived it because of God's grace. Here they are. The list was long, but they were also still experiencing the mercy of God. Seventy years in a context that they found to be foreign, and it was, it was God's hand, retributive judgment on them because they refused to listen to the voice of God. And yet, 
even in captivity, even in the darkest of moments, even in the most frustrating of their journey, God still provides. God still protected. God still made sure that his presence was always there. In fact, when you read chapter 29, Jeremiah is given a letter by God to share with the people. And one of the most marvelous things he tells them is that stop tripping on the condition that you are in. Don't, don't worry about it. It's there. You're there. It's going to happen. Remember, I ordained for that to happen. You're going to be in Babylon. You're not going to change it. All the praying, all the snotting, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change your condition. Here's something that I shocked people by when I told them this in a Bible study. Do you not know that Jeremiah was interceding for, uh, for Israel, constantly praying, and in uh, chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 13 and 14, God told Jeremiah, stop praying. Don't pray for them anymore. In fact, you can tell them when they come to bring their offering, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time because you have moved me to the point where I am now going to deal with you where you are. In other words, Jeremiah is trying to tell them, ain't no need of you complaining that you're in a condition. You put yourself there. The best thing you could do now is to cry out that God gives you some grace to sustain. And that's exactly what he did. In chapter 29, he gave them what they needed. He told Jeremiah, write this letter to them and tell them this is what they need to do. Thus says the Lord to the exiles from Jerusalem in Babylon. Build you some houses. Live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives. Become fathers and sons and daughters and tell your, and take wives for your sons and daughters and to husbands and that they may be bear sons and daughters and multiply and do not decrease. Here's what he's saying. I know you had a hard year, but here's what it is. I don't want you to go backwards, but to always be moving forward, even in the midst of a stormy situation. Don't go backwards but always increase and not decrease. And here's the clincher. He says, in fact, while you are in Babylon, I want you to pray for the Babylonians. You didn't catch that. I want you to pray for those who are holding you bondage. I want you to intercede for them. Jesus picked it up and later and said, pray for your enemies. Something's wrong with God and Jesus. Pray for my enemies? But there it is in the text. In fact, God says, here it is, if you pray for them, it will be well with you because as they prosper, you will prosper. But if you don't, they experience problems, you will experience problems. In fact, read the book of Job. When the book closes out, God tells Job, pray for your friends who think they know you. But their progress will depend on your prayer. You pray for them, they'll be blessed. If you don't, they won't. In other words, God's saying it was a rough year and your oppressors had his or her way with you. But look at how gracious I've been as you looked out for them and prayed for them. And you know that you had to go to that job sometime and say, Lord, you have got to help a brother or sister out because I'm about to lose my mind up in here. But I'm praying for them. Some people can make you so angry that all you can do is look at them and say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you because if I don't pray for you, it's going to be a mess up in here. And by doing that, you opened up the windows of heaven 
and God gave you what you needed. He told Israel, pray for your enemies while you are there. In fact, seek the best of their welfare. For the Bible says, God says, I want to remind you that I know that you are in a tough space. And I know that the year has been difficult, 70 years, but remember, I know the plans that I have for you. It's plans not to harm you, but plans to bless you. And here it is, plans to restore you back to where you were previously. And at the end of 70 years, they could look out and certainly testify, it's been a long journey, but look at me now. I am here. I survived the journey. And it may have been one in which you were wondering if you were going to throw in the towel this year, but here you are on the last Sunday of the year testifying, I survived what I had to survive in the journey. Even though God let me go in spaces that I did not want to be, I survived it. They were shouting. But Jeremiah had to learn a lesson or two even in the process. Jeremiah learned that prophetic preaching is dangerous business and that prophetic preaching is not popular with the crowds. He also learned that prosperity preaching will get you favor with the crowd. His prophetic preaching on three different occasions almost cost him his life. Three different times God had to step in and save Jeremiah because his message of doom and his message of captivity by the Babylonians was troubling to the people. And three times they all decided that they were going to kill Jeremiah and God raised up some voice that would intercede and say, don't kill the prophet. Because the prophet is speaking truth, it becomes now our responsibility to respond to the truth that the prophet is preaching. And every time you thought that you were going to hurt somebody, God raised somebody up near you to remind you you are not only a child of God, but your job is to illuminate the presence of who God is in the midst of a contentious moment. And by God's grace, you were able to move forward. And one reason why we survived the year is because we ate spiritual bread at the right table. We were eating from bread where the chef had done the best job in preparing the meal that we have. And the chef, you know who the chef is, don't you? You know who the chef is, don't you? You know who the chef is, don't you? I realized through 2018 that I didn't say everything you wanted to hear. I realized I didn't make you shout and roll on the floor all the time. I recognized that some things I was preaching was heartfelt and was heart-crunching and allowed your conscience to be shared. But here was my objective. I don't preach to make you fat. I preach to make you healthy so that when you have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can survive it. That's the reason why you're here today because I gave you the meal that you needed, God did, and as a result, you survived. I'd like to preach to make you fat, I really would, because it make you feel good, and it makes you feel like you got to conquer the world, but sometimes it ain't about you feeling good. It's about being honest about where you are in your walk of life. So here it is, Jeremiah said that he was preaching to them, and in preaching to them, they never really understood what he was trying to tell them. The warnings that he gave that this is not going to be a fun journey. Look at verse 1, if you will, of chapter 31. In the 30th chapter, 
Jeremiah spends an incredible amount of time by way of God promising them that he will constantly, through the word, restore, restore. I will bring you back. I will restore. Here's the comfort of that. God keeps telling them, even though you are in captivity, even though you are in a troubling space, I promise you, I will restore you. I will bring you back to your former glory. In fact, I will make it greater in your former glory, but I need you to trust me in the midst of that. And were there not times in this year that you thought that God had abandoned you, that you thought your prayers didn't go no higher than the ceiling, that you felt like you were in this journey all alone, but every now and then God gave you that reassurance to understand that he would never leave you nor forsake you, but he gave you that peace that otherwise you could not get unless you were walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Here it is, the prophet tells the people in this first verse of this 31st chapter, look at the words at that time. God prophetically through Jeremiah was trying to let them know what you see now is not the end of the story. It may look dark now, but there's a time coming when you will experience ultimate victory and guess when that time is? Right now, today, at the end of another year. He says, I will be the God of all the families of Israel. They will all know that I have not separated them out, nor do I have any favor of one over the other, but I will make sure that everything that they had even dreamed of will come to pass. And look what he says in verse 2. The people who survived the sword. That gave me shouting news right there. The people who survived the sword. Now the sword in the Bible is always represented by twofold. One, it's a small dagger in many places to which a soldier would care to be able to fight off his offender. Poke and the dagger is so sharp and short, it would poke enough to get him off and even could render a blow of fatality. But the second manner in which the sword is used is in a retributive sense where God speaks on behalf of the people through the sword to discipline them. Read Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says that the Bible, the word of God, is a two-edged sword. In other words, God says, when I cut on one hand, it's going to hurt. But on the other hand, it's going to heal. Can we not face reality today and be honest? There were some things that happened this year that God let happen. It cut me. It cut me deeply. But it also healed you. You found some things out about yourself that otherwise you would not have known. There were some moments when God allowed some things to rise up to bring out of you in your character some things that you needed to work on otherwise would have been avoided. There were some things that happened that really caused you to have to sit back and ask yourself, how often do I pray? How often do I read the word? How often do I fellowship? How often am I in, am I in worship 
with other brothers and sisters. And God had to allow some things to push you to the brink so that you would realize you need to work on some things in your life. Some of us got some attitudes that God had to allow some people to rise up to put those attitudes to the test. And we thought we were right only to find out that we were actually the ones in the wrong. I know you're going to be quiet. I ain't worried about it. That's that meal again that I know you're not going to be too happy about. There were some things about our personalities, about our ministry, about our work that God had to work on and to bring it to the forefront. And when he done that, we had to make some changes. And we thought we weren't going to make it. Here we are end of the year, we survived it. And you want to know why we survived it? Look at verse 2 again. Not only did they survive the sword, not only did they survive the sword, watch this, it's going to make you shout, but they found grace in the wilderness. Oh, that was your shouting moment right there. Okay, let me help you. Rewind, just rewind through the course of the year and just think about all of the doors that were shut and yet God opened them up. Think about all of the roadblocks and yet God pushed them out of the way. Think of all of those moments in which you know you should have suffered the retributive hand of God, but instead God gave you grace. I'm talking about you saw others lose and yet you gained. You saw others push back and yet you were pushed forward. You saw others when the rain fall and yet the sun was shining in your life. Why? Because for some reason it couldn't be because of my goodness, but God gave me grace in the midst of my wilderness. Now, you know why you call it a wilderness? Because God let me go out there. He allowed me to go over there. He allowed me to go through there in the barren space so I could witness God's provision. You know what gave me glory in that when I thought about that? I thought about when you read Matthew chapter 4, the Bible says that the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by the enemy. I thought about that. Women, hold on. Why would you lead him there to be tested by the enemy? And it came to me, Jesus, even Jesus' ministry had to be authenticated so that when people knew him and they witnessed him and when he told them how they would make a way and become victorious, he already knew because God had placed a stamp of approval on him. And you can't testify to nobody how good God is and how God will make a way until you've had to walk through that moment and God has done that for you. You don't know anything about grace until you recognize all that I am. I didn't deserve it, but God's favor gave me some grace and I'm alive at the end of this year because grace was made available in the wilderness. And look at the last line of verse 2. I not only found grace in the wilderness, but when I looked for rest, I found it. When I look for rest, I found it. Now, you've got to be in a space where you get wore out a little bit to know what it means to look for rest. 
I'm talking about when you just get tired of being tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired. You need some rest. You need some rest from circumstance. You need some rest from people. You need some rest from yourself from some. You just need rest. And Jeremiah said God gave it to him. Those who survived, they survived because they found some rest. And church folk, let me, let, me, let me share something with you. This might sound a little contradictory because I just told you a little bit ago that you need to be in church, but listen to me. You can't live at church 24-7. Every now and then, you need to take yourself a break and get yourself a vacation and go off with your spouse, go off with your children, go off with yourself. Get yourself refreshed. You want to know why? Because people in church can get on your last nerve. And it's people, and I make that statement because our context, we sort of cloud our context with spirituality, not remembering that there's a practical nature of doing ministry. So you got to deal with people's attitudes, people's objectives, people's agendas. And every now and then, you get some folk who just push you to the limit, and you need a break. You need a break where you can go and reflect and then regroup when you go up and say, Lord, I need you to help me out because right now, I'm about to lose my church membership. I'm about to get pulled out. Everything about to happen. I need you to help me out. And when you, you ain't careful, you'll take it to work, you'll take it home, you'll take that attitude everywhere before you know Everybody wants to be away from you. When they see you coming, they shut the door, pull the shades, go to another direction. Why? Because you need a break and you need some rest. And rest is good, not just for your body physically, but for your mind. So let me close by saying this. Now that you survived, I want you to take a little bit of advice that you've survived a crisis. You survived the end of a whole year. Take a little bit of advice, practical advice that I think will really help you, because I get this out of Jeremiah, that will really help you if you think about it. it. It tells us that they not only found rest, but look at what the word says. The word says that the Lord said in verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. Hebrew word is hasid. It simply means that God has given me a love in the language of Paul that surpasses understanding. I can't figure out how God's love is so deep and so wide, but it's a heartfelt love that God has given me. There's a reason why God let me survive this year. And I need to sit down and think about why I was favored over another. It's called gratitude. I need to be thankful of every single day. And then God says in verse 4 that he told me, he's going to build me up again. Look at the word. He says, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. You will go forth to dances with the merrymakers, and you're going to take up your tambourine again. In other words, God says, you may not feel like shouting now, but when you survive this, 
you're going to be shouting again. You're going to recognize that I'm going to shout before I get to the victory. And here we are at the end of the year. We already should be shouting. You should be up now shouting, thanking God. If it had not been for God's grace, I wouldn't be. I'm glad that I'm in the house one more time. Didn't have to let me live, but I'm glad to be in the service one more time. As I told you earlier, food may not be falling off the table, but there is some food on the table. Nobody leaves the table hungry. I may not have all I desire, but I got enough to make sure that I am happy and I'm comfortable. When I look at the conditions of others, I am blessed and highly favored. And because of that, I got to give God some glory and say thank you for your grace in the wilderness and your space of rest. And so God said, I'm going to help you pick up that tambourine one more time, and I want you to run to those who want to dance with you as well. So here's my advice to you. Number one, do me a favor. You've survived it. Here we are. We're at the end of 2018. You survived the year. Do me a favor. Don't waste time feeling sorry for yourself because of how you survived. I'm not going to get into how you survived. That's you and God's business. But be grateful that you survived. In other words, listen to this, self-pity is easily the most destructive of non-pharmaceutical narcotic. It is addictive, gives momentary pleasure, and separates the victim from reality. Here's what he's saying. Ain't no need you walling in self-pity. It will certainly be a drug to you and get you under its spell, and you'll end up leaving reality. And the reality is you survive. You are here. It could have been worse, but it's not. Rejoice. Don't waste time feeling sorry for yourself that you made it. Why? Because it's a waste of time. Secondly, it leads to more negative emotions. And third, it will cause you to overlook the good that's already in your life. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your time feeling sorry because of how you had to survive. Secondly, don't shy away from change. See, Israel had to change. When they came out of that captivity, they had to change. They had to look at life through a different set of lenses. Now that you have survived, be willing to change where change is needed. Listen to this. It's not that some people have willpower and some don't. It's that some people are ready for change and others are not. Are you willing to change for 2019? Why? All or nothing. Sometimes change is like that. All or nothing. Some change is not incremental. Some change means that you have to make a decision and do it now. Think about that. All that you've gone through in 2018, and you know where you need to make changes at, think of how you need to do that and get it done for 2019. Some changes are habit changes, meaning you can break or you can choose to break or get rid of a habit that are non-productive. You know what they are. The chains that bind you, break them. 
God's given you the power to break them, use the word to break them. Try something new, meaning mix it up. Do something you've never done before. Here's what that means. Venture out. Do something different. You go the same route every day to work, the same street. You can, you can time the traffic like you've got it that down pat. Do something different. Go a different way. Go someplace different. You go to the same restaurant. You know how the food going to be prepared. You know how the carpet smells. You know how the light's going to be dim. Find something different. Because life is about change. Experiencing what you've never experienced. I'm not talking about something debauchery or something debilitating. I'm talking about the newness of life. Something that's exciting. Listen. I would not be the first to volunteer to do a mountain climb. That just ain't my kind of thing. However, because it's out in the wilderness, secluded, and it's a good challenge, I'd be willing to take on the challenge. I may not get no further than two feet off the ground, but I'd be willing to take the challenge because it's okay to do something new. Behavioral change, meaning I just want to do better despite. I just want to be better. I just want to do better. Instead of frowning, maybe I want to smile. Stand in front of the mirror and work on smiling. <laughs> you know something I found quite invigorating that I, I don't do, but I see why they do it? Taking selfies. Yeah. Now my daughter's great at this thing. Every time I turn around, she I just, I sit back, I wonder, what in the world are you doing? But I got it now. There's something about that, though, that does something to your mental composition that makes you feel like, shoot, man, I'm fighting this on nowhere. Let me take another picture there, right? Let me look at that right there. Because I want to change my behavior. Why? I want that to be reflected when people see me. Instead of, I ain't taking no picture. During picture, I remember during picture. We ain't gonna do a picture. During picture, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah, how are you doing? How's your day? I don't know. It's just, just day. Just things going. But change because I want my behavior to change. That's what Israel had to do. They had to change their behavior because God had brought them through seventy years of a journey, and you need to change yours because God has brought you through a whole year and you survived it. Cognitive change. My mind, God changed my mind. The way I think, who I look at, what I look at. You know, that stuff is influential in your mind. That stuff keeps pouring in your mind, man, and you start uh, multiplying and building it up and your mind starts processing it and it becomes a way of life if you're not careful. So who do you let in your mind? Who do you let in your space? Who do you let occupy? the most critical aspect of your human body, your brain. That's something you need to think about. So not only do I want you not waste time feeling sorry for yourself because of how you survive, not only do I not want you to shy away from change, but I also don't want you to focus on things you can't control. Because it rains and you wanted sunshine, don't worry about it. Because guess what? You couldn't control the rain if you wanted to. 
Instead, accept what it is because you can't change it. Roll with it. Roll with them punches. Make it work for you. Make it work out because sitting there being angry about the fact that it's not what you want is not going to make you any happier. You survived it. Moved on. Here's my final word. Please, 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 if you didn't get anything else I said, don't dwell on the, what's the next word? Past. Here's the saying, we do not heal the past by living there. We heal the past by living fully in the present. Why? Because dwelling on the past will cause you to miss out on what's happening in the present. You ever know some people, all they think about and talk about is yesterday, what I used to do, what we used to do. You can never move forward if you keep looking back to the past. Dwelling on the past interferes with your decision-making. You can't make good decisions looking through the rearview mirror, looking ahead. It's called vision. Dwelling on the past doesn't solve anything. Replaying the script generally will not solve a single problem in your life. Just replaying it over and over and over and over. Want to know why? Because you survived it. Why keep playing it? Instead, make peace with your past. And it's really going to freak you out. Even folk that you got issues with, make peace with them. How do you do that? Because I don't want to have to talk to them. I don't have to. Ask God to give you the strength to have a conversation. It could be the last one. But go and have it. Shut that door. Nail that coffin shut. Put it in the ground. Put the dirt on it. Put you a tombstone on it. Here was my past. It's gone now. And call it quits. Make peace with it. So you had failures. You made some decisions. And you did some things that you're not pleased of. I got it. I got it. But God's grace is so sufficient that even what you think is such a horrific experience, in God's eyes, because of his grace and the blood of Jesus, it's been covered. And because it's been covered, why do you keep going back to erase the covering that God has given it? Stay with what God has provided, the grace and the mercy and leave it alone. Stop going back to dread up what you did wrong yesterday. You're already paying the consequence for it. Move on. Live through it and be victorious. Give yourself permission to move forward. You can't never get out of the past until you mentally tell yourself, this is it. I'm not going to go back to this anymore. And for God's sake, if you got one of them wretched relationships, please get out of that thing. Get out of it and move forward. Listen, you can be miserable all by yourself. Move on. Give yourself permission. You don't love him that much. And he don't love you that much. 
I just love him so much, though. He, he, no, he not. In fact, if he was all that, you wouldn't be feeling the way you're feeling right now. Give yourself permission to move on. She not worth all that, man. Not, no, no. Just move on. Because those kind of relationships bind us and put us in prisons. And before you know, they turn from one year to three, from three to five, from five to seven. And you go from 20 to 27, 27 to 35, 35 to 40. And you still ain't married nobody. And he still ain't asked you to marry. He not going to ask you to marry him by that time. And might I add, we've got one, two, three, four, five children. Why? Give yourself permission to drop that like a hot potato and move on. Practice forgiveness. Remember I told you, you survived it. You at the end of the year, so when you reflect back, there's some folk you don't want to forgive. Practice forgiveness. But you don't know what they've done. I, I know. Practice forgiveness. Oh, I don't know, Reverend. You, man, that thing hurt me to the core. I got it. But here it is. Nothing has hurt anyone as much to the core than what they did to Jesus at Calvary. And if God, in his loving kindness, can give forgiveness through the breaking of his son, how much more can we do? Because in granting forgiveness, you not only set them free, but you set yourself free. Change behaviors that keep you stuck in the past. That could be a number of things. You, you know what it is. You know what it is you keep going back to do over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. You know what it is. And it hinders you from moving forward. It hinders you from growing. It hinders you from becoming all that you can. It hinders your vision. It hinders your dream. You keep going back. It's addictive. That, that's a sure sign you need deliverance. And the only place you can get it from is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's got power to set you free. All right, I got one final thing that I'm going to let you go. And this is going to blow you out the water. Get professional help if you need it. Amen. We all know that Ray Ray got problems. Boy, have always had problems since he was born. And hear me clearly because I, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm going to say it clear for you. Ray Ray don't need prayer. I, I know y'all trying to, how, how could he say that as a pastor? That they, Ray Ray don't need prayer. Ray Ray need professional help who knows how to diagnose his issue and provide a possible solution that can get Ray Ray back on the right track. Now, you can pray for Ray Ray, but I'm saying don't keep Ray Ray in the house and you tell me, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord to change Ray. The Lord ain't going to change Ray Ray. God gave somebody the ability to analyze Ray Ray's condition, and God is saying, get Ray Ray to your deliverance right there. Get some professional help. 
Yeah, he still need Jesus, but in the meantime, he need Dr. So-and-so to help him out. Yeah. See, James makes that clear for us. Read the book of James. James says, you can't put spirituality ahead of what's a practical need at the moment. If a man's hungry, don't go to him talking about spirituality because he's going to shut you down. But if you want to actually get to him, take him to get him someplace, something to eat, fill his void in his stomach, then he can sit there and listen to you. But we always try to put Jesus out front. Read the Gospels and you'll notice Jesus heals first. Then let's talk about your eternal condition. Yeah, you wonder why your husband ain't getting no better. He ain't going to get no better until you tell that Negro, listen, we need to go to counseling. That's just the bottom line. And if he tells you no, then you might want to consider giving him that bill of divorce. I know, I know y'all freaking out on that. I got you, I got you. But some things you can't resolve merely alone by praying about it. You need God's gift that works through other people who have wisdom and insight to help us resolve this issue. Here it is. If you got a toothache, how come you don't just sit home and say, Lord, you got to fix this toothache because this thing is killing me. You find your dentist and go get the dentist and say, look, doc, get it out, fix it. Why? Because some things require practical attention that's done by a professional. You done went through the whole year, peace, this is what we call it back in the old school, piecemealing things together. Y'all know what piecemealing is. That's, yeah, some of y'all, country folk, y'all. Piecemealing means you just pulling a little bit here, a little pull it there, just, just trying to make it work instead of just doing it right. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Why? because you have already survived it and grace has helped you survive it, there's a reason why God's giving you rest so that in the new year, you don't make the same mistake all over again. Do you hear what I'm saying to you today? All I'm trying to say is you survived it for a reason. Make the next year better than the previous year. Get you some professional help if it's necessary. Now, you know, like I said, if you don't feel it's necessary, you know, Ray Ray got problems. Ray Ray around there cutting up everything, stealing everything, uh, hurting everybody, cussing out everybody. You don't think that's necessary? Maybe it ain't Ray Ray who needed professional help. Maybe Ray Ray got more sense than what we thought. Maybe it's you who need the professional. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying. See, when I read Jeremiah 31, I see a practical sense of God saying, I'm going to restore you, but you got to make some changes. We got to make some changes. And I don't need for you to dwell on the past. And you just keep dwelling. It's not going to do you any good because your latter will be greater than your former. That's the goodness of God's restorative grace, what he has in store for you. You survived it. Look, look at yourself, I survived it. You didn't think you would, but here you are. You, you survived it. And now I want you to get ready for another journey because you just don't know what 2019 will be. You have no idea. But I know what? I do know one thing. No matter what it is, 
His grace is still sufficient. His mercy is still everlasting. And wherever I go and whatever I got to go through, God will still be God. Amen? Come on, let's give God a hand, a hand clap of praise. Thank the Lord for another day's journey. Let's stand to our feet.